0: Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway.
1: And I'm Cameron Conway.
0: And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway here with Cameron Conway. And today we're going to talk about something that's on everybody's minds, their debt. Love it or hate it, we all seem to have it.
1: Almost by design. But not just our debts we're talking about today, we're talking about the interest rates which impact how much money you get to pay back on top of the money you owe.
0: That's right. Interest rate increases are incredibly crucial and they'll play a key role in not only your payment amount in a lot of cases, but also the total like Cam just said that you'll pay to borrow money so that when you look at your long term financial planning can have some major impacts. So let's talk a little bit about the Bank of Canada.
1: So a few weeks ago, we did this whole podcast about exactly what the Bank of Canada does, what's responsible for, but a couple of weeks ago, they made a big announcement and we think it's time to talk about them again really quick, right?
0: Yeah, so we'll do a little bit of an explainer again here. And like Cam just said, throughout the pandemic, we saw the Bank of Canada have the overnight rate at a historic low. It was only a quarter of a percent. And the overnight rate is the rate that the banks essentially charge each other to settle up their books at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, banks, they have to kind of be at their positive, at a certain threshold. So sometimes they'll borrow from each other just to hit those limits. And that's what these rates are set by the Bank of Canada.
0: So through the pandemic till about March 2nd this year, we were at that quarter of a percent, and then we saw the first increase that took us to half a percent. And then in April, we saw a half a percent increase that took the overnight rate to one percent. And one of the things that the Bank of Canada, they're very open about it, they publish it, they have Eight fixed dates every year where they can make these changes to the policy, to the overnight rate. So we have a number of dates remaining. There's a date in June, July, September, October and December where they can still decide to increase this a little bit more. And if you start listening to The economists, there's consensus pretty well both sides of the border. So here and in the United States as well, where inflation because it's gotten so high, can cause that overnight rate to shift up to an estimated around 2% by the end of the year. And depending on who you listen to and who you talk to, sometimes it comes in a little lower or a little higher.
1: Well, yeah, different people have different opinions. And it's also what's motivating those people to have those opinions, because you look at a lot of the banks, their analysts are all pushing for a really high number because they want that high number to make more money. That doesn't always necessarily help you more, but... The consensus is that it's going to go up. It's been, what, 14 years now of next to zero interest rates. So it's just a matter of time before it starts creeping up again. Hopefully it doesn't end up like it was like in the 70s and the 80s with double digits, but it is inevitably creeping back up, especially with how inflation is just kind of going all over the place right now.
0: Well, and that's an interesting comparison, because in the States, with their current posted inflation at about 8.5%, it is a high since December of 1981. So that's a pretty scary statistic, especially when you think about how closely Canada and the States like to keep their monetary policy, just because there's some implications for trade when you change the pricing of the dollar. Our inflation here is currently at 6.7%. And if you look back over the last year, it's been over a year now of inflation being over 3%, which is when it exceeds the Bank of Canada's target.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Keep seeing how we're at the highest inflation rate since the early 90s, and it doesn't seem to be slowing, and really the only... Help that's trying to come to help consumers just to extend foreign worker visas and student visas to just keep suppressing the wages to kind of artificially fix a problem, but it's not actually doing it. So inflation is probably targeted just to keep increasing and increasing because there's nothing really to offset it anymore. And the housing prices and everything else and just the inability to buy basics, it's just forcing these interest rates to kind of come up to really shock the economy back into a sense of normalcy, right?
0: Yes, we're at the point in time where the Bank of Canada, from their own reporting, is saying essentially the economy is good, jobs are good, businesses are struggling to hire, which means the labor market is very competitive, and higher interest rates have a contractionary Effect. So it slows everything down, and that slowing down, because businesses are maybe less inclined to borrow money or things along that line, so that slowing down tends to decrease the overheating that we're seeing right now. But keep in mind about the change in the Bank of Canada's mandate to a dual mandate where they are now obligated to look at employment numbers and use that as a metric so if we see gdp slow down which is actually part of their projection for 2023 uh, gdp right now the forecast is is not great it's only about four and a quarter percent for 2022 but it's projected even lower right now at three and a quarter for 2023 so if we see a slowing down of the economy, and if we see labor numbers reflect that, that will also impact these rate hikes. And it could slow them down, or it could cause the Bank of Canada to reevaluate the health of the economy overall.
1: Okay, well, it's probably enough about the Bank of Canada right now, but what does all these changes actually do to impact your life right now?
0: Yeah, so... The interest rate, especially as it's expressed by the bank as prime, affects the debts that you carry. So different debts are affected in different ways, but a lot of people for the last decade with record low interest rates followed. Good advice, which was essentially to take your higher interest debts, so your credit cards or maybe unsecured loans that might be at 8 nine, ten 9%, 10%, and roll them down either into a, a line of credit, which is attached to your home if you own one, or to roll it directly into your mortgage and in a lot of cases we've talked about before how one of the bank's little tricks that I'm not very fond of is getting people to re-extend their mortgage the amortization schedule which is the length overall of the mortgage so that they're basically starting at ground zero day one again it does lower the payments in a lower interest rate environment but it also make people more vulnerable when interest rates go up
1: Yeah. it's not just people consolidating their loans. Uh, A report from Stats Canada last week came out and said that uh, multiple property owners make up 30 to 40% of property stock right now. So you have people consolidating loans, buying up as many properties as you can, and just leveraging and leveraging and leveraging. And a lot of people are just under the assumption that interest rates were just never going to rise. I've seen things on Reddit where real estate agents were going out and saying, oh yeah, it'll never go up. And Prices never go down, buy, 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 don't worry about anything. But with interest rates now starting to come up, even right now or even a year or two from now, this is going to have a dramatic impact on the carrying costs and how much money you're going to be paying out to cover these over leveraged loans right now.
0: Oh, sure. And from a property point of view, I mean, everybody was just trying to get to that magic 20% down, right? So when we see investors reborrow, they're trying to borrow as little as possible to get into that next property. But rising interest rates can make cash flow That much more difficult. And when your cash flow starts turning negative, then as an investor, you have to really make the decision of do I honestly believe that there's going to be equity appreciation in this property? Because really, that would be the only thing going for me at this point in time. So essentially, it could get to the point where these mom and pop lenders are paying for the privilege of potential equity appreciation down the road that who knows what will happen, right? I mean, The value of a house is only as good as the next person coming along is willing to pay for it. And that's part of the free market that we live in.
1: Well, exactly. It just comes down to debt levels, what people can handle. I saw something this morning where officially a house in Canada is worth double what a house in the States is right now.
0: Well, and that's a little bit scary as well. And remember, back in 2008, they went through that big real estate crash. We didn't get it here. And there's also some really important material differences to our mortgages. When they lock in their rates, they typically lock it in for the whole period of time that they're going to have that mortgage. So that could be 25, 30 years. Whereas here in Canada, we're adjusting them for the most part. Most people choose five-year fixed or variable, but um, we're readjusting and renegotiating every five years. And in a rising interest rate scenario, that can make us pretty vulnerable, especially when you think about how high these mortgages have gotten to be over the last number of years.
1: Well, exactly. Average price of a house in Canada is, is pretty much doubled even if we saw like a 50% crash in housing prices, we'll be right back to where we were before the pandemic.
0: Right. And something that was a little bit new, I guess it's not new anymore, was that stress test that came out with the idea that every federally regulated lender had to make sure that a borrower could qualify to pay their mortgage at a couple percentage points higher than what it actually was. So if your rate was... You know one and a half or i mean we saw lots of rates under two percent during the pandemic a lot of mortgages got tested closer to five percent or something along those lines i mean of course it varied but there is a significant loophole there as well the rule is just for federally regulated lenders so private lenders or credit unions if they're provincially regulated Didn't necessarily have to follow that. And in the height of it, I mean, we talked to a few mortgage brokers in our time, and there was a really strong, hard push to go to these B lenders that did not have the same criteria. So, uh, in the height of the fear of missing out, people were getting lots of pressure. You know, oh, we've got to get in the market. It's only going to go up forever. Okay, well, you can't do it in the traditional sense. Here's someone that can do it for you. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge.
1: Yeah, just don't ask for details on who it actually is, but we can get you that rate no matter what. We'll get you that rate, which is something we've seen firsthand. And we we know a lot of people have kind of fallen into this. So there was no full stress test. So when that five years or three years, or whatever that threshold comes up to, and it's gone from, well... Overnight's gone from a quarter to like a two or a three percent. a lot of those people are going to be in trouble
0: right and think about it as it's not just the overnight rate, so the bank is still going to charge you a premium they'll call it their prime rate it, It's not going to be the same as the overnight rate it's going to be a bit higher
1: well exactly they always have their own, but they will always justify an increase to prime to to raise their own rate so if prime was like a quarter said a lot of banks are charging two to three percent interest but they can increase that whenever they want. I can't remember. I think one of the big five banks was increasing their rates recently, and it wasn't tied to the overnight rate, it was just they wanted a higher interest rate on mortgages. So they can increase as much as they want, but a change to the overnight rate will guarantee an across-the-board rate hike to all of them.
0: And it's not just the prime rates and these overnight rates that we're talking about. It's your personal credit score and how much of a credit risk the lender views you as. So we always tell people it's important to look at their credit reports. So TransUnion and Equifax, those are the two big ones here in Canada. And they look at things like how much credit you have, how often you use it, what your payment history is, have you defaulted, how often are you late. And they both have a little bit of a different scoring system, but um, essentially it will determine if you're going to get a rate that's better or worse than what the bank is offering, kind of the average run-of-the-mill person. Now, when you switch mortgages or if you refinance, this is a lot of things that people don't realize as well. So let's say that you went through a private lender or credit union and now you want to refinance and one of the big five banks has the best rate that you can find. You're going to be required to stress test, even though you have bought this house and you do have that mortgage already. So if you've rolled a lot of debt into your mortgage, that is something that you'll have to just watch really carefully and make sure that you would still qualify to renew at a higher rate. And that's, like I said, especially important if you've in the past re-extended the amortization period of your mortgage.
1: Well, exactly. That could be a counterbalance. You could be 10 years into a mortgage and you could be forced to go right back to 25 years again.
0: Exactly. Because sometimes it's that little back and forth that they do, but keep Keep in mind the opportunity cost, And I know this is something you've heard us talk about before, but the total that you pay overall is really what matters at the end of the day. It's great to keep a house and to be able to to stay there and to live there, especially if you've got the family, you need that stability. But at the end of the day, this is money that could be going elsewhere, right? So... Well,
1: exactly. At that million dollar... 800 square foot bungalow you just bought. If you don't do things right and you're not careful, it could cost you $2 million out of pocket.
0: Which is pretty crazy. So, the bottom line in my mind is debt has never been this cheap before. And we know as a fact that it's getting more expensive.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. And looking back, because we had our little talk with the budget and how the government is specifically targeting like banks and insurance companies, the people who are lending out this money. So, you know, they're going to have to try and recoup those extra tax burdens and expenses from somewhere else. And most likely it's going to be through their fees or the interest rates on their loans.
0: Absolutely. A hundred percent. Banks like to make money, right? We've said that before.
1: Okay. So just one more final thing on mortgages. Can you explain what the impact is going to be on a variable rate versus a fixed rate?
0: Absolutely. So this varies by lender, but depending on who your agreement is with, some variable rate mortgages, the payment will stay the same for the rest of the term. There will just be a little bit more money that goes to interest and a little bit less going to principal, which means that you're not paying it down as fast as you were before. For someone in a fixed term, specifically most of us, like I said, are in five-year fixed, the payment is not going to change until the end of that five years. So this would be a good time, especially if you have a number of years left and you know interest rates are going up. You can check with your lender and see if you have a prepayment privilege, if that's something that you want to do, or if you contact your lender and have them do a little stress test calculation, or if you find an online calculator and do it yourself, then um, you might see that This could get difficult in a few years. So having extra money available to pay down some of that debt now could actually help you out a few years down the road if we still are in this higher interest rate environment.
1: So are you saying the answer is just go buy a second or third house?
0: Well, we've seen changes in the real estate market already, right? And it's only been really two interest rate hikes at the very beginning of this, but we've seen properties stay on the market quite a bit longer, less multiple offers and less properties that are maybe not going as much over as they were before, or even I've seen quite a few that have sold at their list price. So I think there is a change that's happening. And I think a lot of people are kind of waiting and seeing how this all plays out.
1: Okay, let's move past mortgages now. Let's talk about lines of credit. Uh, How does it work if it's secured against your house or if it's secured against something else? How is all these interest rates going to impact that?
0: Sure. So lines of credit, like you said, sometimes they're secured, sometimes they're not Being secured just means it's tied to an asset. So if it's secured by your house, if you default, of course, they can take your house. If it's not secured, you're probably paying a higher interest rate, but there's no asset particularly tied to that. That being said, lenders always have recourses to try and recoup money. um,
1: Oh, exactly. they've got more lawyers than you.
0: And deeper pockets, too. Well, I'd say first of all, it's always going to be a bit cheaper to have a secured debt than an unsecured debt. So that would be the first thing to do. Even in an interest rate environment that's increasing, you want to make sure that you're keeping your cost of borrowing as low as possible. So I'm still a fan as long as you know that you'll be able to handle the next renewal or stress test or whatever it might be, making sure that your debt is going to the lowest cost option. So if you do have credit cards that have run up over a period of time and you can bring them down to a line of credit or bring them down to your mortgage, as long as you, of course, plan on increasing your payment to accommodate that and don't just pretend the debt never happened and bury it in there, that's when it can catch you in the end. But the bottom line, I suppose, is credit cards, of course, are not affected by these changes because they're at such a high rate already. They're usually not tied to prime. It's really anything that is tied to prime. And like I said, one of the best things you can do is look at your own credit, look at your own credit score and see if there's ways that you can improve your credit score and potentially negotiate a lower rate even in a rising interest rate environment.
1: Well, yeah, like Christine said, credit cards aren't affected, but a lot of other things are. Uh, your car loan, if you have bought furniture from a department store sometimes, payday loan, all that stuff. But there's a lot of different places you can get loans and lines of credit or one of those like zero down for 12 month APR deals. It's all these different places. All those will most likely be affected. So you have to be ready for that. So either consolidating or paying off the highest ones first to get yourself ready for these interest rate hikes that are coming down the road, unless there's some way you can magically suddenly make five, 10, 50% more at your job overnight. You have to kind of prepare yourself right now for these raises.
0: Right. So what we like to encourage people to do is to do their own personal stress test. And I mean, that's something that I talked about quite a bit in my book, The Debt-Free Lifestyle, which we're in the process of revising right now, and we'll let you know when the updated edition comes out. But um, really, it's checking on how your cash flow can handle all of these increases. There's always debt surveys. I think MNP puts one out, Oh, very frequently, that has stats like over half of the population here, or half of the, pardon me, not the population, the people surveyed are within a couple hundred dollars of not being able to sustain their current expenses. But um, a stress test for you should be about how your budget can handle the increased dollars, the increased actual costs that are going to happen from these different types of debts that you hold, even if it is four or five years down the road with your renewal. So I encourage you very, very strongly to look at the total debt that you have. Write out every type of debt, the interest rate, how much you're paying now, and for the ones that can change, so those variable mortgages and even variable lines of credit, some of those can change right away. I mean, we have... A line of credit and as soon as the Bank of Canada makes their announcement the next day we can take a look online at our our banking and see that the interest rate has gone up so because we've had this happen twice now we've had the two interest rate increases you can check with your financial institutions just to see how your particular debt products that you're holding are impacted by these and if they're not impacted immediately how much time do you have and how much free cash flow do you have that maybe you want to start redirecting to some of this debt, especially if the financial markets are a little bit shaky right now with the war. You might be looking for something that's more of a sure thing just in terms of if this debt gets lower, then you know that your renewal costs hopefully will be more manageable.
1: Well, we talked a lot recently not just today, but the last couple of weeks about interest rates and inflation, I think we should kind of do a look under the hood of how all this actually works. Like why do we have this sudden rise in inflation and why is interest rates needed to combat it and kind of put it back in its corner, so to speak? So a lot of this as you've probably seen the news comes back down to the bank of Canada and all of the buying and spending it did during the pandemic. Like for example, their balance sheet went from 120 billion in March, 2020, and it soared all the way up to 575 billion in March, 2021. But where did that $400 billion come from? We thought this was an interesting thing, and we actually sourced this back to a report right from the government of Canada. We'll put it in the show notes so you can actually see exactly how this money was created and how it has impacted you personally through interest rate hikes and this soaring inflation you're dealing with now.
0: Yeah. So like I said, this was incredibly interesting and we we couldn't believe our eyes when we saw it. So we'll relay it back to you.
1: Well, we've always kind of suspected this is how it was working, but it was interesting reading it right from a parliamentary report.
0: Well, and you can see it in the, the Bank of Canada's documents as well. I don't know if you're going to link that one too. But um, the, essentially what they have is they have this mechanism where they will tell us that they've been making asset purchases. And more recently, they've been telling us that they're going to be reducing their asset purchases. And what does that mean? So essentially, since... The fall of 2021, the Bank of Canada has been buying Government of Canada bonds, and they've been purchasing quite a lot of them between four and five billion dollars each month. And like I said, now they're communicating that they're going to stop purchasing these bonds and not replacing the ones that mature as they mature. But why does this matter? So this is the technical part of it, and this is what's really interesting. When the Bank of Canada buys a government bond, it's essentially creating new money for the government to spend. So with the stroke of a pen, they can essentially say, okay, federal government, you're going to be lending us, so the Bank of Canada is going to buy these bonds from the government now the government does not have to make any kind of payment on these bonds until they mature which is usually a couple of years down the road if you look at the bank of canada's balance sheet it reduces about 40 percent of the government of canada bonds in the next two years but keep in mind that we had record low interest rates during this period of time so they set the interest rate which is the amount that the government of Canada is going to have to pay back to the Bank of Canada but essentially this money is just created by a policy decision by a decision from the Bank of Canada and even though they're technically separate entities the Bank of Canada is independent They still have the ability, they talk about it in their own um, wording as being a bit of an internal transfer, which is a little crazy.
1: Well, in Canada, it's, it's different for other countries, but in Canada, the Bank of Canada is technically a crown corporation. It is a part of the government, but it operates also at an arm's length. So it kind of... I guess Canada Post could be a good example. It has its own board of directors, has its own policies, but it is owned by the government of Canada, but the government of Canada does not directly control of its operations. Bank of Canada is very similar. And what Christine is saying here, so the government will say, we need money to appear out of nowhere. We will issue these bonds. The Bank of Canada goes in and it either buys these bonds or it auctions them off to uh, commercial entities when these commercial entities and the Bank of Canada says, we will buy these bonds, all of a sudden money is essentially created out of thin air with the hope that the government will give back real money for the imaginary money that was created by this new account line created in a ledger. And the big complaint a lot of people have been having is. Because so much of these government bonds were bought up by Bank of Canada, it is forcing inflation up, which because money was essentially just created and thrown into the system and everyone was grabbing it up, spending it, raising prices to take in more of it, which is why in partially inflation is going up and up and up because suddenly there's more money. So people want more profits, people are doing more spending.
0: Yeah there's actually a projection right now where spending is projected to increase about 40 billion dollars from consumers using the excess money that was created during the pandemic. So if that isn't inflationary, I don't know what is.
1: Well it comes back down to like the basic laws of business, it's supply and demand. There's there's more supply of money, but there's also a higher demand to use that money. So people are raising prices to compensate and all the way down from like the base of like manufacturing and the cost of goods all the way up to the wholesaling, resaling, up to the retail and up to the retail expenses and people's wages. Every step of the way, it's just going up and up and up in terms of cost because suddenly there was this half a trillion dollars pumped into the economy. But we find it just interesting that, we are paying interest rates, we're dealing with inflation, and the whole nature of how the monetary system works is just this creation of account numbers and ledgers, but it has such a direct impact on all of our lives. Like I said, well, I'll, I'll post this short little 10-page report from Parliament of Canada into the show notes, but it just it's interesting to look at how all this works and how it directly impacts your life.
0: And that's at a Bank of Canada level. And like I said, they are communicating this to us on a regular basis when they have their interest rate decisions. So we are hearing about this regularly every two decision dates, they release a monetary policy report that usually tells us what they're doing. So that's another place that you can look if you're interested in seeing this information. But it's not just this little thing going on between the Bank of Canada and the government, which of course is a big part of it. But the banks can do this too. So have you ever wondered where the banks get their money? Or how do, they, how do they make these loans? Where does it all come from? It's a very, very similar mechanism. So they, of course, can create money when they buy these bonds. So they're buying them from the Bank of Canada in a lot of cases. But they also have the ability to create new money from loans. So think of how much larger mortgage loans have been over the last couple years, or even business loans in a growing economy. And I mean, even if the economy isn't growing, you'll see lots of things like acquisitions where smaller companies that are maybe ready to fold get bought up. There are usually loans that are required. And of course, consumer loans, auto loans, other things that you buy, like Cam was saying, your furniture, your refrigerator, whatever it might be banks have something called capital constraints. So the regulators decide based on their equity, based on their assets, how many loans, so the limit to the amount of loan that they can create. The big difference is the Bank of Canada does not have these limits. So it's virtually limitless. What do you need, Government of Canada? what are you willing to pay in terms of the interest rate and we've created this dynamic where you've got a borrower and a lender so essentially that we're saying is the government as the lender is receiving this capital and of course the Bank of Canada as the borrower they'll get the interest at the end of the day but they're really the ones that are putting it out there
1: yeah, this is how a government is able to have like a hundred billion dollar deficit. This this is how this whole system works uh, on the Bank of Canada and on private banks. I just want to read one line from this uh, parliamentary report. One key similarity between money creation in the private banking system and money created by the Bank of Canada is that both are realized by simultaneously increasing the asset and liability sides of a balance sheet. So the bank sends out money, you receive money, and there is a promissory note to repay the bank back plus interest. And then poof, there is more money created in the system.
0: Yeah. And uh, one of my big concerns as we've looked at things like the federal deficit, which we've talked about before, is you you see the number and it's so mind blowing, right? It's hard to wrap your brain around. But if this is telling us that the Bank of Canada's balance sheet is going to be reduced by 40% of these Government of Canada bonds in the next two years, a lot of this debt, because it's been quote unquote internal, they really can contain it in a certain sense it is required to be repaid so the taxation from us the general populace is still gonna have to be there or like the schemes like we saw in the federal budget where now the banks the insurance companies are gonna have to pay these extra levies the money has to go back real money has to go back but at the same time maybe this is all part of the grand plan to keep that deficit manageable because really They've been borrowing from, quote unquote, themselves, if you can say that, because the Bank of Canada is, of course, independent.
1: Okay, I think we kind of caused enough steam to come out of people's ears with all that. To wrap it up, what's a concrete action plan or something someone can do right now to kind of help them deal with these interest rates and inflation?
0: yeah so in circumstances like this it feels like there's a lot of things that are out of our control we can't control what the bank of canada or the government is going to do but what we can do is we can control our own personal balance sheets and in a rising interest rate environment it becomes more important than ever because no one knows how high interest rates will go and no one knows how long they will stay elevated I mean, when you look back historically from uh, Statistics Canada, some of the charts they publish from the late 70s to the mid 80s, I mean, 79 to 82 and then 84, uh, things were in double digits, right? In terms of the rates that people were paying and Prime was even higher than that. So it's always something that you have to plan for and take care of yourself, No one's going to do it for you. So this is the time. My encouragement to you is check your credit score, check your credit reporting. I mean, it's even a good idea from a fraud point of view. There's lots of identity theft and things like that that go around these days. Make sure all of the debts that are showing on your report are actually yours and that there's not someone that's kind of trying to hone in there and, and mess things up for you. Anything that you can do to improve your credit score is going to help you, especially when you renegotiate your loans. And while we're still of the position that you definitely want to use secured debt as much as possible and the lowest interest rate possible, Please do your own personal stress test and find out what 1% or 2% or 3% more looks like for your budget. Because really, that's going to be dollars out the door. And where is that money going to come from? So especially if you have some time to prepare, while we're at the beginning of this now, you can come up with a plan. And make sure that your family, that yourself, your personal budget is going to be secure and that you can navigate through this period of time. If you have a lot of variable debt, you might want to talk to your lender about what it would look like if you locked that in. If you're concerned about interest rates going up too much and you don't want to have to ride that wave up and ride that wave down and and no one knows what that's going to look like yet. All that we know is inflation is so high that it has to be tamed. So it's not a if this happens in my mind, it's a when this happens. And if the economist's prediction of a 2% overnight rate is correct, that will cause a material rise to the prime rate. And then, like I said, your personal rate will be plus or minus whatever it is, depending on your own credit score.
1: Yeah, really, you're kind of on your own on this can't expect magical help to come from anywhere. And I suppose one more out of left field tip we can give you is if you're not happy with how the government is managing things, join a party, get involved with your writing association, and complain your way right to the top that's
0: politics for you. And always, if you want someone to talk to or kind of help you sort through some of this stuff, feel free to give us a shout. If you're in BC, we're at Financial, brawnfinancial.com. And I think, like we've said, we've made our heads explode enough this time. So we're going to call it a wrap here. So until the next time, take care and all the best.